Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gow. Jason Brown, NFL star turned farmer. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio, raising the hip factor in agriculture. You gotta love that. Super cool show today. And you know, I always say that because they're all super cool shows in their own way. But you know what? This one is unique in a whole different way because we're talking a little sports and we're talking a little farming. And we haven't, I don't think we've done that yet, really. Well, we did season one, episode two, but you can dig that up yourself. Go check that out. Kind of cool how life ties everything together this way a few weeks ago. I was in Las Vegas, that's right, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, the same week of the NFL draft. And man, was that town on fire, just buzzing. The energy was electric because it's the NFL draft, right? And as life would have it, I get back from that trip and I sit down for an interview with today's guest, Jason Brown, former center for the St. Louis Rams. But there's a whole lot more to this interview than football. You know, me to you, I love the story of the reluctant person, the one that's like, I don't know how this is supposed to go. NFL star Jason Brown may have had his reluctance, but you know what? When you have a higher calling, maybe there's a little more assurance in that uh, reluctance. But Jason's got an amazing story of faith, football, and fun. Farming and it is just wow. Just wow. Very, very cool. You're not going to want to miss this. Can't say I get to talk to many big league sports personalities. And you know what? This guy's as big as it gets. A lot of fun. And we'll get to it all in plus or minus 90 seconds. Open Field Radio. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career? At Gowan. Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com slash careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com slash careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? And when it comes to promoting Open Field Radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody, knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to Open Field Radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Connecting with the best audience in ag podcasts. One episode at a time, one listener at a time. Open Field Radio. Open Field Radio, Season 2, Episode 19, Jason Brown, Football to Farming. It starts right now. I guess the big question that comes to mind right away is, how do you get from the NFL to farming? And I'm sure everybody asks you the same question. Yes, they do. And, uh, (laughs) you know, to keep everything in context, it, it makes no sense at all. Uh, that that a young man would would leave fortune and fame uh, to a lifestyle that's much more humbling, um, and to be on a farm to play around in the dirt. Um, if you don't understand, yeah, my, my faith and, and and my conviction, my ultimately my calling from God. For the listener who may not know, let's get the backstory a little bit. You did spend some time in the NFL, and you played real hard in the NFL. You want to talk us through that, and maybe before that, how you got there? Yes. So my alma mater, um, I'm a 
from Carolina, and so I went to UNC Chapel Hill. I'm a Tar Hill. There you go. And met my my lovely wife while I was in college, and now she's a Duke grad. Uh oh. And so you know, yeah, so uh, house divided, big house <laughs> divided. But then uh, I was fortunate enough to be drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in the fourth round in 2005. Played there for four years, and then went on to uh, play with the St. Louis Rams for three years uh, in free agency. What's the draft process like as a as a young man? That's got to be just uh, stress factor ten. Oh yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's very. Um, I, I, I want to say uh, intense, and in the fact that you, you're competing to to get a job all the while uh, someone else is competing for your position as well. And so, you know, it, it's at the highest level of competition, um, you know, when you're playing in the professional sports. And so they have so many scouts that, that go out and find, you know, the best talent um, amongst the college ranks. And, you know, thankfully I had an invite, you know, to the combine and they invite up, you know, a little bit more than a thousand um, prospective players to, to literally it's it's like if if you're going to a a cattle call and um, and they're they're poking you prodding you they, they want to see how uh, how well you can perform. I watch professional sports. I love professional sports, and I've always thought that competitive thing it has to be has to come from birth or from somewhere. And I can't imagine what it's like sitting around waiting for your name to be called or not called or whatever is supposed to be happening. That's right. And so for me, uh, instead of waiting around, you know, I, I, I went to my parents' home and they have a little pond in their backyard and I went fishing. There okay. you go. I, I, did the, I, I did the least stressful you know, thing that I could possibly <laughs> do. And I just sat out there by the water all, all day long. Um, and yeah, and so I was not drafted, you know, the first day, uh, in the first three rounds. Uh, but you know, first thing on Sunday morning, you know, the Baltimore Ravens came a calling. How do you go to sleep that night on the Saturday night? If you haven't been called, oh my gosh. Uh, honestly, when I look back at it now, there couldn't have been a better, uh, a better team for me to be drafted on. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Gourds, pumpkins, squash, cucurbits, right? Say that three times fast. If you're growing any of that, you know powdery mildew is not your friend. And what helps with powdery mildew? Quintech fungicide from Gowan USA. Its unique mode of action controls powdery mildew. And if you're in the business of producing high-quality crops, that would be you, Quintech will be an important part of your powdery mildew management program. Quintech is the only FRAC Group 13 fungicide in the United States. And its active ingredient, quinoxifen, provides a mode of action unlike any other fungicide, making it ideal for resistant management programs. Gourds, pumpkins, squash, you growing any of that? Combat powdery mildew with Quintech fungicide. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. You know, staying accessible and connected is key to running a cool show like Open Field Radio. And sincerely, listeners are important. That means you. And because of that and the growth of the show around the world, you can now reach us on WhatsApp. And it's super simple. The easiest way, openfieldradio.com. 
at the very bottom right there in the contact us section, there's a button that says WhatsApp. What do you know? Click that, shoot us a message. You know what? There's somebody at the other end of that that will gladly connect with you. We love to keep in touch because without you, we're just talking to ourselves. Stay connected because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Hi, my name is Nina Wilson, and I listen to Open Fields from the lowest capital of the world, Yuma, Arizona. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Kalamazoo, Michigan, Bergenfield, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Mississippi, Kissimmee, Florida, Welton, Arizona, Bucharest, Romania, Vienna, Austria, and Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. Well, what is it like, and maybe what it's what it's like isn't the right way to phrase it, but you have a career going, and understandably, it's busy, it's chaotic, I'm sure. Stress, pressure, competition, all those kind of things. What takes you to the point that you go, hey, wait a minute, there might be something different to do here? How did you get to that point? So I always knew that there was going to be more to my story than just football. And even when I was in high and I was starting to find out that I was I was pretty good at the sport at the sport of football. Um, our twelfth grade English teacher had us to write our, our own eulogy. Okay, and so I had to think about literally the end of my life and and how things were going to play out. And honestly, I, I knew that I didn't want my, my my legacy and my life to be remembered by just being a good football player, but there was more, you know, that, that I was going to somehow make an impact. Um, I was going to be a, 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 an awesome husband, father, um, a member of my community. But I just I honestly didn't know exactly how that was going to take shape or form at that time. And what was the switch? What was the switch that was thrown that said, you know what, now's the time to make this move? So honestly, I, I draw from a lot of inspirations in my in my life. One from my older brother, Lunsford Bernard Brown II. Um, that uh, unfortunately he, he was slain in service, um, serving our country over in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and that was September twentieth uh, of two thousand and three. And most awesome big brother in the whole wide world. And um, he was seven years older than me. Okay. And he was always pouring, man, just so much love and wisdom and encouragement into me and and even shared with me that, hey, Jason, I want you to grow up and be an even better man than I am. He was 27 years old, and I was 20 years old at the time um, when, when I lost Lunchford, and I was in the middle of my career at, at Carolina. And I tell you what, it snatched the rug from underneath my feet. I was like, well, what's the point of any of this, All right? Like, what's the point of even playing football anymore or even, you know, finishing college? I mean, like, I was literally devastated that much, but I knew how much he cared about my future success and, and even my career in football because I still have uh, a couple of emails that, that he sent me uh, when he was uh, stationed over there, and he, he uh, shared that they were playing the, the NCAA football game, some of his friends, and he was actually playing with my college team and playing with me. And he told the guys, he was like, hey, this is my little brother. And they're like, man, get out of here. That's not your brother. <laughs> yes. And, and so fast forward seven years, you know, I, I used all, all of that 
motivation and, and somehow it propelled me to the, the highest heights um, in, in the NFL. Uh, I earned the highest paying contract for a center at the time with the St. Louis Rams. And um, at, at the top of my mountain, woke up one morning, I should have been happy for myself because it was my birthday. Uh, I turned 27 years old, the same age that Lunchford was when he was slain in service. And uh, I'm walking to the bathroom uh, and, and, you know, wash my face and I look in the mirror and I got to tell you, I did not like what I saw. You know, I, I couldn't even stand to look at myself. I began to measure up my life and everything I had accomplished over 27 years and everything Lunchford had accomplished. And, there is no comparison. Like I, I couldn't wear his shoes, nor could I even walk a mile in his shoes. And and I said, Jason, like there, there's got to be more. You know, there's more to the story. You know, you always knew that there was more to the story. And even though I, I was, I knew I was making a difference, but I, I was. It's still sports. It's entertainment. Sure. You know. You know, when keeping things in perspective with with life, it's still a game. And I just knew that I needed to move closer towards service, sacrifice, and giving back. Wow. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for your brother's service and uh, his ultimate sacrifice piece to you and your family. Man, that is an amazing, amazing story. But as a professional athlete, you're not operating alone. There's a series of people in line with you to help make your decisions and help make your next move and plan your course and all those kind of things. What was the response from those folks? So when I made the decision to get ready and walk away from the game, honestly, God had placed it on my heart that he, he wanted me to, to feed his people. And it, it was such a crazy calling that for, for me, I was like, wow, like, really? Like, you mean you want me to, to, to stop? football and do something that I know nothing about, something that I didn't go to college for, where I was at the time, living in a 12,000 square foot mansion. I had more zeros in my bank account than, than, than I could count. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking like, how is there more? And earlier in my youth, I knew that there was more to Jason Brown than, than just football. But here's the thing. When I was wrapped up in that lifestyle and I started to believe all of the hype and all of the things that people were saying about me. I mean, you start to get comfortable in that lifestyle. I knew that there needed to be a change and also to move my family back towards faith and family first. So let's look at this a little bit. Jason was a big-time football player. He'd spent four years with the Baltimore Ravens and then spent three years with the St. Louis Rams. 6'3", 328 pounds. That's all cool. $37.5 million contract with the Rams. And walking away from all that, I don't care who's on your side, walking away from all that is a scary thing. So I asked him, I was like, what is that like? What's the feeling you've got all that and the world by the tail? You changed life paths. What's it feel like? Honestly, I, I didn't know exactly, you know, what that would look like and what it meant. And so it was the most epic trust fall that, that I'd ever done before. I thought that I was going to have a little bit more time to make this transition because I still had two years left on my NFL contract with the St. Louis Rams. But little did I know is that as soon as I accepted that calling from God, which was early 2012, I'm talking about in a matter of two weeks, 
This was like February of 2012. In a matter of two weeks, our head coach, Steve Spagnola, got the can. He was fired. Uh, they brought in Jeff Fisher from the Tennessee Titans, and the word was coming down the pipe that he, he was going to clean house of all the old veterans. And me, you know, being a seven-year-old, mm-hmm. seven-year veteran, um, I'm considered an old guy on the team. My <laughs> agent called and, and said, hey, Jason, um, more than likely, you know, they're going to release you. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. Unfortunately, Jeff Fisher called me up two days later and said, hey, Jason, you know, thanks for um, everything you did for the team, but we're going to be moving in a different direction. And that was his nice way of saying, you're fired. Yeah. I'm like, man, get out of here. Like, how could this happen that fast? And I thought that I had time, but now I'm a free agent all over again. Right. And I I told my agent, I said, hey, you know, um, if they release me, more than likely I, I might hang up my football cleats. He was like, that's crazy. Like, you still have so much left in the tank. Just, hey, let, let, let me find, you know, some teams that, that uh, want to sign you to a long-term deal. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And here was the hardest part of it all. My agent called me back up and said, hey, you're talking crazy about leaving, but I've got three teams that want to sign you to a long-term deal right now. The Carolina Panthers, they want to sign you. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, they want you back the team that drafted, and the San Francisco 49ers. Wow. And no one knew, not even my agent, uh, the only two people that knew was myself and my wife, Tay, is that those were the three teams that I wanted to play for more so than anything. And if you calculate the odds of that happening, those odds are one in the tens of thousands. So if you take away, yeah, there's 32 teams in the league, take away, uh, the Rams, they just released me, but multiply 31 times 30 times 29. And it, it, it's ridiculous. Sure. And literally that was the hardest decision I, I've ever had to make in my life. If you read my book centered, uh, trading your plans for a life that matters, uh, I go much further in, into detail. And, and that guess what? <laughs> I, I, I was still was not perfect in making that decision because here's what I did. I got on an airplane and I flew to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I visited with the Carolina Panthers organization. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that carrot at the last minute was just dangled right there in front of my face. Wow. But but I'm so thankful that, yes, I was able to walk away. He did just say walk away. Walk away from the NFL. Now, as a kid, I liked football like every other kid loves football. And you grow up and football is the thing. And I had friends that all they wanted to do was grow up and be football players. And the last thing they ever said was they could not wait to be a football player so they could walk away. Amazing. And you know what? There's a lot more to this story. And if you want to know the whole thing, check out Jason's book called Centered. You can just do a little Google search right there, Jason Brown, Centered, and you'll find the book right away. Or go to their site, Wisdom for Life.org, and there's a little tab across the top that says Centered. Click there. It takes you right to the book. Check that out. All the details, everything that Jason's got going on. Amazing story. He walked away from the NFL. And he not only walked away from the NFL, he started farming. And now you got to buy a farm. How do you do that? that check this out i've never seen any farm like this um it it, it is so beautiful and i'm just so fortunate that 
that we're just able to just be good stewards and, and, and to work the land. Um, this place, it was not even for, for sale. It was not even on the market. Um, it, it was just by, by, by happenstance that, that we drove by this farm and I said, my God, like, that is the most beautiful farm I've ever seen. Had no idea who owned it. And we drove by this farm about four times. And we were looking at another farm down the road that a lot of it was floodplain. Um, it, it was very much so a, a lot less desirable. And our third time visiting that other farm, we said, hey, sir, you know, th this place, we just had to look at it one more time because it was such a large amount of acreage, 1,100 acres, you know, here on the East Coast. Um, didn't know that that much continuous acres, you know, still existed. Sure. Um, but we're going to have to look elsewhere and move on. He said, hold on a second. Like, I, I know you guys are, are interested and you're qualified buyers. I've got a farm up the road. It's not for sale, but I'm sure the owner would be willing to entertain an offer. I said, well, hmm. what farm are you talking about? And he said, well, it's the farm with the beautiful rolling hills, big white <laughs> barns, it's, it's the farm with these big, beautiful ponds on it and a beautiful old white country farmhouse. He said, do you know what farm I'm talking about? And I knew exactly yeah. what farm he was talking about because that was the farm that I was praying to God for. And we immediately came up the road and toured all over this farm and I had to have a poker face, you know, while, while looking at this, sure. I mean, because I was just ecstatic. And then they came back with a bloated appraisal of twice as much as we could afford. And I was so let down and, and I said, you know what, we're going to submit an offer, uh, in faith. All right. You know, we're going to see if this is going to work out. And, I submitted uh, a, a reasonable offer, but not an insulting offer. And they came back literally just shy off of their like ridiculous asking price. And I, I moved up just a little bit and they came down just a little bit. And I went to my wife and I said, dear, they're not coming down far enough or fast enough. I said, there's no way that we can meet in the middle if, if we continue going like this and, and that's just going to be way outside of our budget. My wife called me out. All right. My wife, you know, Tay, like I said, she's a dentist. Um, I promised her the world. I called my wife from a beautiful mansion to come and, and work on a farm and get dirty. And so I took a Sharpie and I wrote on there, um, the best that we could do. And I said, final offer. And I underlined it twice, final offer. Um, and it was literally still 50% of, of, of their asking price of their appraisal. And they came back and said, if you can close in 30 days, the farm is yours. And I'm like, what? I'm, did that just happen? All right. Like, like get out of here. This was back in 2012 you know, towards the end of the, you know, the, the housing crisis, you know, that, that session. And, you know, then, yeah, it was a completely different market that, than it is right now. Now, wow, that, that bloated appraisal that we thought was ridiculously high then 
in today's market, which is just crazy. You could possibly double that right now, and and someone would still come in and say, "Yep, I'll buy it for for more than your asking price." It's just that that's just the way the the you know the farmland and and the housing market goes. And because now that we're on a farm, you know, we have so many uh, friends and family and people that that have been inspired by our lifestyle that say, "Hey." you know, we want to buy, you know, some farmland as well. And, and we want to, you know, grow some good fruits and vegetables, you know, for, for our family. And I got to tell them, I'm like, get in line. Like the, the competition <laughs> is just, it, it's just, it's just too crazy right now. But, um, I, I'm so thankful that yes, we were able to do it then. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to open field radio. Consider this. Domark 230ME fungicide for disease control on your soybeans. Why do I sound so confident? Now that's because Domark 230ME fungicide from Gowan USA controls eight of the most common soybean diseases. Eight of them. Truly systemic movement for protection of both treated plant tissue and new growth emerging after application. It improves harvestability by preventing green stems, plus convenient microemulsion formulation for increased leaf penetration, thermal stability in mixing, and reduced wash. Off. All of that says confidence to me. Check it out for yourself. Domark 230 ME fungicide. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. I love to tell you about things that I like, and that's the only reason I want to tell you about them. And if you're like me, I take notes on post-it notes on anything. I'll write something down, but then what? I lose them, right? Well, here, if you're like me in that way, get yourself the Adobe Scan app. I love this thing. Get it on your phone, right on anything you want. That's right. Get the app out. It's Adobe. Come on. It's going to be quality. Snap a shot of your notes with the camera in the app. Bingo, bango, bongo. You save it. It's a PDF in your phone just as you wrote it. From there, you can share it or do whatever else you want to do with it. But the one thing you won't do, I promise you, you won't lose it. Adobe Scan in your favorite app store. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. This is Chandler Bennett. Parabug, Salinas, California. Pilots of Bombardier, all bugs out, bombs away. Season 1, Episode 10, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, former NFL lineman turned farmer, Jason Brown. Well, I read a great quote from you that says, before I had to wrestle 300-pound defensive linemen, now I have to wrestle 1,000-pound cows. That's fantastic. What do you grow? What's the farm like? So we started with a, a small you know, garden, you know, j- just to get our feet wet uh, out there on the farm. Um, and, and then in 2014, we said, okay, you know, we're going to have to dive uh, a little bit deeper. And North Carolina being the sweet potato capital of the world, we said, all right, <laughs> you know, something that w- was fairly easy to cultivate, um, very forgiving as far as your pH you know, of the soil, as far as, you know, the fertilizer that, that you have, sweet potatoes are, are, are very forgiving. And, and also, um, they're nutrient-dense. Uh, they were able to stay out there in the ground um, until we were able to, to get ready to, to harvest. And so a lot of the, the produce that, that we have uh, donated over the years, uh, a good number of that has come from sweet potatoes. But lately, we've diversified into many beautiful perennials. We have apple trees, peach, pear, plum, figs. 
we have blueberry bushes, raspberry, you know, vines, uh, you name it. it. It's a lot of beautiful things that grow here. Well, the area you're in there in North Carolina, that whole uh, southeastern region is, if I'm not mistaken, very big on locally produced produce. Is that right? Yes, that, that, that is correct. North Carolina is, is filled with agriculture. Um, but one thing that we still have to be careful with is that North Carolina is still very much so a food insecure state. And uh, most of the agriculture it is large commercial industrial agriculture, and there, there's just still so much cotton, wheat, soybeans, tobacco that, that's being grown. And even though you have people that live out in the country that are surrounded by big farms, they're surrounded by John Deere tractors that, that are out working the fields uh, all the time, you know, there's still rampant food deserts, you know, throughout our state. And so the thing is, look, me, the definition of being a farmer is that first, you got to grow some good food to help feed your local communities. And, and, and then if there's some other, you know, cash crops out there where, where you can, you know, capitalize on some of those markets, then so be it. But, you know, first and foremost, we got to help to feed our neighbors. That's awesome. The name of the farm says it right there. First fruits. So the first fruits of your farm go where? So our, our very first harvest in 2014, um, it was only a, a five-acre plot of sweet potatoes, and we had a bumper crop. It was actually 120,000 pounds. And, uh, of course, our, our original goal was always to donate the first fruits and then market and, and, and sell the rest to help sustain you know, the farm, you know, the overhead uh, cost. But there was such a tremendous need from the community. So many of the local food organizations, such as the local food banks, uh, the church pantries, the soup kitchens, they were so depleted and they came back and said, hey, do you have any more? And, and we said, well, well, how much do you need? And, and they literally said, we can take it all. Um, wow. but there's that much need out there. And God placed it on our heart to donate our entire crop not just the first fruits, but, but our entire crop that year. And we were like, okay, you know, we can do that the first year. But then there was that much need the following years in 2015, 16, and 17. And I said, hold on a second now, God. Like, that wasn't a part of the deal, okay? <laughs> like, you know, uh, it, it's supposed to be first fruits farm, not, not all fruits farm. <laughs> and, and so sure enough, um, that very next week, I received confirmation from, from two gentlemen. One, our local uh, ag extension director, um, and then another gentleman, uh, a retired professor from NC State, and they both saw our, our beautiful old dairy barn, and they said, hey, what are you doing with this barn? And I said, well, we're not doing much you know, with it. Uh, they, you need to do something with this barn. You can't keep it all to yourself. And I'm like, what do you mean keep it all to myself? Like, <laughs> well, like I'm hoarding, you know, uh, old, you know, barns and silos. Sure. And, and so they said, hey, this would be uh, an awesome venue space, you know, for the community. And starting in 2017, going on 2018, we just started pouring a little bit of, you know, TLC and, and fixing that barn up a little bit. And today, we host more than 50 weddings a year. Nice. Yes. 
And, and I tell you, it's the most beautiful barn. It, it, it's not your grandpappy's barn, okay? <laughs> um, it, it, it's a beautiful dairy barn. And um, if, uh, if you want to see pictures of it, uh, you can Google uh, Amazing Graze Barn. That is G-R-A-Z-E. So it's a play on words. Sure. Uh, amazing Graze. Because, yeah, of course, back in the day, you know, we had some cows that grazed, you know, in and outside. Uh, of that barn, uh, but today uh, people graze there. Fifty weddings a year—that's uh, every weekend, but just a couple, right? Yeah, we have a back-to-back. Uh, that, that's what's working us so hard right now. So we have uh, a rehearsal dinner this evening, a wedding tomorrow. <laughs> it, it is the season of, of love. Well, there you go, and that's not a bad season at all. So at this point in the show, you got a pretty good idea of who Jason is. He's a good guy, a man of conviction, a man of action, all those kind of things, and you got to like that, right? You know, my next question to him, I couldn't have foreseen the answer to this had I tried. It's so honest, and it's so real, and it's really spoken like a parent, and I was really, really surprised. Check this out. What is your favorite thing about stepping out on that limb with nothing but faith starting that farm? I tell you what, even before we got here to a farm, uh, we only had two children, uh, my oldest, uh, J.W. Jr., uh, and our daughter, Naomi. And I prayed that I would be able to offer my children an experience where they would be able to learn discipline, work ethic, and responsibility. Even when we were staying in St. Louis, I, I told my landscaper, I said, hey, I don't want you to, you know, uh, take care of this side of the yard. He's like, well, why not, Mr. Brown? That's what you pay me for. I said, myself and my son, we're going to do it. And I got up early one Saturday morning, drove to Home Depot and bought some flowers and mulch. And JW, who was three years old at the time, we came back and we started planting flowers. I was trying to just teach him, you know, s- some work ethic. And yeah, the joy of, of, of working with your hands and, and there's nothing wrong with manual labor. But yet, it, it seemed forced, you know, it, it, it really felt like it, it was just a, a normal, but on a farm, it's natural. Like th- there's farm chores that we're able to do every single day. And our children now, you know, I tell them, Hey, we're, we're a farm team, you know, for our family, all of the awesome food that's placed on our table that comes from our farm. Like we all have to have a helping hand to make sure that, you know, our family eats well, but also, you know, the, our neighbors as well. And, and so they get it. And, and not only that, it is that farm kids have grit. Um, look, you can't grow up on a farm and, and not be challenged uh, with critical thinking. You can't grow up on a farm and not be challenged with, yeah, just some basic common sense. Okay, look, common sense may be dead in other places, but on a farm, you better have it, okay? Because we're faced with so many challenges every single day, and my children, they have to figure it out. I I, I love sending them out to do a lot of their chores on their own. One thing that I, I, I desire is that I want my children to learn from their mistakes and have as many mistakes that they can possibly have early on, you know, building up the, their experience and, and to experience all of those failures right here on a farm. Okay. But guess what? You also experience so many victories 
as well. And in the end, we're all able to experience the fruit of our labor. This is Michael Rule, author of Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America. Price check on Honey Nut Wonder Rose. Season 1, Episode 4, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. From your perspective in football to now your perspective as an American farmer, what is your perspective on the American farmer as a whole feeding the world? We all know the numbers uh, uh, in age of you know, the, the American farmer, you know, right now, one thing that we're battling more so than anything is, is culture. You know, we're, we're battling the, this younger generation that knows nothing about farming. They know nothing about agriculture and they just think that food is supposed to just show up in the grocery store or, or on the dollar menu. Uh, our food system has been heavily subsidized, you know, through, through the government people truly aren't paying the fair price for, for good food, for, for what it truly costs. You know, people aren't giving farmers the credit that they are due for, for feeding our growing nation. There's got to be something that has got to change and, and it's got to change, you know, quickly. The culture that we're faced with right now, it, it is such a dominating force. Whereas in, well, when I was growing up in elementary school, look, you had so many kids that, that looked towards their, their community members and the mentors in their community for, you know, their jobs and their occupations for what they wanted to do when they grew older. Yeah, they said they wanted to be a police officer, a fireman, a, a truck driver, a, a farmer, right? And when I visit elementary and middle schools right now, and I ask all of those children what they want to do when they get older. All of them, they think they're going to be the next influencer on social media. They, they think they're going to, you know, be the next entertainer or professional athlete. Look, the the greatest impact that, that you can make in the world right now is in agriculture. The, the greatest difference that you can make in the world right now is in agriculture, like food is is the greatest constant that every single one of us needs. Everybody's going to get hungry. So th- th- there, there's got to be a shift culturally for us to really get back on top of things and, and, and get things moving in the right direction. Um, and I, whatever celebrity that, that I still have or whatever popularity I still have from, you know, being a former you know professional football player, Believe me, I, I, I'm trying to motivate, encourage, and inspire as many children as I possibly can to, to take a second look at, at agriculture and, and being a farmer and, and making a difference in the world that we live in today. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.